the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I missed you yesterday. I was here for like eight minutes, but I, I more or less missed you yesterday. We have close to a full show today. This is a weird week for us on DEV because of high school basketball. So I'm on until 6.40-ish today, and then we get you ready for People's Academy in Stowe on the boys' side for a 7 o'clock tip-off there from Stowe. Brent Curtis will be on the call. So we're on for a little over an hour. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, is going to stop by. Former UVM hoop star TJ Sorrentine is going to be with me as well right before the end of the show at about 6.30. I'm curious, what was it like for him? He's the associate head coach at Brown. What was it like for him to coach against UVM last Friday in a game that UVM won 70-65? to So TJ Sorrentine will be with me at about 6.30. always like talking to TJ. I'm sure that had to be a, uh, a, a weird dynamic for him last Friday. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, Lego! Five, four... Three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The Patriots are 9-4. and four. The Patriots have won seven consecutive games, and they have been dominant for most of that seven-game win streak. But yet, despite their dominance recently, despite their win streak, and despite their overall record, and despite their standing right now as the number one team in the AFC playoff picture, nearly everybody is saying the Chiefs are the favorite in the AFC. They're just Everybody is leapfrogging the Chiefs over the Patriots. And you know what? I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. There are people who are out there, I'm sure, who are feeling disrespectful. Do you know what we've done? Do you know what we can do? Do you know how good we are? It's all true. I still don't have a problem with the Chiefs being the team that is on the tip of everyone's tongue when you ask them the question, who is the favorite in the AFC? Over the last few days, I've heard it from everybody. Uh, Mike Golick Jr., the Chiefs are back. Keyshawn Johnson, the Chiefs are better than the Patriots. Even our guy Freddie Coleman is saying it. Staying with the Kansas City Chiefs, that's my biggest takeaway. It is still their AFC. I know the way the Patriots have played, but no one is beating Kansas City in the AFC if they keep playing anywhere near they have played in the last month and a half. They haven't gotten the great Patrick Mahomes yet, but you got a sense that's going to be coming. Everyone is saying it, that the Chiefs are back, that the Chiefs are the favorite. I don't have a problem with it. I know how good the Patriots are. I know that the Patriots can beat anybody. I know the Patriots could beat the Chiefs. They physically are able and capable of beating the Chiefs. But the Chiefs 
have a reputation. And that reputation is that they can win big games. We know this because they've done it the last two years. Their reputation is they can get to a Super Bowl. We know because they've done it the last two years. And their reputation is that they are champions. And they did that just two years ago. The reputation on the Patriots is that we don't know yet what they can do. We just don't know. We think that they can be special. I think they can be special. But the Chiefs have proven it. And this is how sports work. The Patriots may end up being better than Kansas City, but this is how sports work. You are the champ until somebody knocks you off, and the Chiefs are the AFC champs, and they have not been knocked off yet. So I don't have a problem that people skew towards them as the favorite. I heard Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston the other day, you know, belly aching about the Chiefs are only the favorite because of the reputation. Exactly. Exactly. People's reputation always defines what we think is going to happen. When we predict things, we always draw back on past experience. Reputation told us Derek Jeter was going to get the big hit. Reputation tells us that Tom Brady's going to score in the two-minute drill. Reputation tells us UConn women's basketball is going to be in the Final Four and probably going to win the national championship. They may not, but reputation tells us in our mind that they're the team to beat because they've done it. Reputation told us for a long time that David Price and Clayton Kershaw were going to fold in the playoffs. Reputation always matters, and it matters here. So if you are a Patriots fan, don't be offended by this. Understand that this is the way of the world. When you have done it, and when you've done it more than once, people will assume you can keep doing it. The Chiefs deserve that benefit of the doubt. And if I'm a Patriots fan, I want the Patriots flying under the radar. I want them to be underdogs. They've been counted out all season. I want that to stay the case. Let them talk about the Chiefs. Let them talk about Derrick Henry coming back for Tennessee. Let them. I don't want to be the favorite. I don't want to have everybody's attention. I want them to know that the Pats are good. They know that. As for are they the favorite, then I don't need that. The Chiefs can be the favorite. They deserve that. They deserve the benefit of the doubt. I don't think people are overlooking the Patriots. I think they are giving credit to Kansas City, and it's credit that Kansas City has earned over the last few years. Dean says, um, let's see here. We lost Dean's message. We'll get it right back here on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. He says um, something to the effect of the top three. Uh, no, we lost it. I Something was going on with our text line last week, and evidently that problem is persisting a little bit here today. Not much. We see like half of Dean's message, not all of it. So um, we're working on it. The, the tech team has to get on this here on the uh, the Brady Farkas Show text line. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open, 802 585 3026. Again, 802-585-3026. Uh, we'll give Dean's message here another shot, see if we can get it. We will get it. It's not It's not popping up right now. I see the first half of it, but you all can get your messages in. 
they were floating in and out last week, but the text message has largely been good, and uh, we'll get it back here. So, all right, my apologies to Dean. We'll get to your message momentarily. Wyatt and Pownell. This message, believe it or not, comes up perfectly. He says, Brady, the Pats have won seven straight. Don't you, th- you don't think it's disrespectful for people to assume they can't hang with KC? No, that's not it. I, I don't think that that's it. I, don't, I think people think that they can hang with Kansas City. But as for people picking the Chiefs over the Pats, I think it's more a sign of respect to Patrick Mahomes. MVP, champion, he's a star, and he's done it before. They're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think any of this is anti-Patriots. I think it's pro-Chiefs, and I think it's pro-Patrick Mahomes. They've earned it. Now Dean comes in. He says, Brady, Merry Christmas. Thank you. He says, the three reasons why the Patriots are better than Kansas City. Offensive line, the defense, and the run game, they can control the clock to keep Mahomes and company off the field. That may all be true. That may all be true. But as for who is perceived to be better, I do not have a problem with people thinking the team that has done it will do it again. Again, there is a reason why in the late 90s, early 2000s, you assumed the Yankees would win. They did it, and they did it over and over again. There is a reason why you assume Steph Curry is going to make the open shot, because he does it. There's a reason why we penciled LeBron into the Eastern Conference Finals every year, because he's done it. Your reputation matters, and it, 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 it conditions us to think in a certain way. Dean, you might be right. The Patriots might be better than the Chiefs, but I don't have a problem with people defaulting to picking Kansas City in the AFC because it's natural. We've seen them do it. We've seen Mahomes do it. We haven't seen Mac Jones do it. We haven't seen Damian Harris do it, Ramondre Stevenson. We haven't seen Matthew Judon do it. We've seen Belichick do it. That's fair. Hightower, McCordy. We've seen some of them. But the overall reputation of the Patriots is not yet what the Chiefs is. Um, I do want to say this. This thing, this season right now is at a teetering point. COVID is rampant in pro sports today. A bunch of NHL players put on the COVID list in their sport. NBA players, the same thing. The NFL has more than 60 positive cases in the last two days. Eight members of the Cleveland Browns, seven members of the Rams, several starters, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. We are seeing more and more people and more and more prominent people put on the COVID list. Jalen Ramsey didn't play last night. The season is teetering, not from a will-they-get-through-it standpoint. They will. Trust me. The money is too great. They've come too far. They are finishing this season. The question is just, how is the season impacted along the way? And the answer could be significantly. Significantly. Injuries are a part of it. We're used to seeing, we are used to seeing um, teams be impacted or ravaged by injuries, especially at the end of the season. It happens every year. But it looks like it has a chance to happen with even greater propensity and an even greater widespreadness this year. Look at the Rams, for example. They beat the Cardinals yesterday. 9-4, and four, flying high, game out of the division. Boom, I think it's more than 10 players on the COVID list. If any of those 10 
don't play against Seattle this weekend, and Seattle wins, the Rams now have lost a chance at the division and an outside chance at the number one seed. If they lose to Seattle, they've lost both of those things. They are better than Seattle by a lot. But are they better than Seattle without Jalen Ramsey and without uh, OBJ and everybody else that they've been missing? Not necessarily. We saw the Patriots beat Cleveland without Nick Chubb. Would it have made a difference? Maybe, maybe not, because that game ended up being a blowout. But we've seen the Patriots take advantage of it. You look at the Browns. The Browns are 7-6 and six fighting for a playoff spot, and they are out a bunch of players potentially for a Saturday game, a day-early game against the Raiders, a team they are battling with who also has playoff aspirations, although fleeting. This thing is going to impact the end of the season. The question is how much does it impact the end of the season and can your team avoid it and can they capitalize on it if they play a team in that position? You hope this doesn't happen to the Patriots because it can absolutely impact your season. It could cost, If the Chiefs, Patriots, Titans, any of them had an outbreak like this, it could cost you a chance at the number one seed and potentially winning your division. This is going to impact things. It's just a question of how and can you avoid it. So it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're going to talk with Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots. He's going to come with us next. He's going to be with me in about two minutes. So we will step aside. We'll get Bob in here for his usual 545 talk. And I want to ask Bob, COVID right now. It's running rampant around the league. Are the Patriots doing anything differently protocol-wise to stay safe? Bob Sosi with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now, it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Hewitt takes the snap, he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball goes toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to Foxborough. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Going up until 6.45 tonight, then we've got high school basketball between People's Academy and Stowe. So joining us now, as he does every single Tuesday at this time, is the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi. We've got a special Saturday game this weekend, the Pats and Colts. We'll have the coverage for you at 5.30, and the Pats are rolling, Bob. I can't wait for Saturday night. How was your bye week? Bye week was great, Brady, although a bit shorter than we anticipated, of course, with the game Saturday having originally been scheduled for Saturday or Sunday, expecting perhaps that we might have a Sunday game. Instead, it gets moved up a day earlier, but we'll take it because I can't wait either. It's going to be a fantastic game, I think. These are two teams whose seasons in some ways have mirrored one another. I think Indianapolis, though now in the playoff picture, still on the fringe, nonetheless is one of those teams that really has developed to the point where nobody is going to want to play them next month, let alone uh, perhaps uh, the rest of this month. You know, the Patriots are a very good team. I think they're a largely complete team that does not make them a perfect team, however. So what do you think they were addressing during the bye week? 
Well, I think they continually south scout. That's one of the things about the Patriots in particular to me that stand out through the years in calling their games is that nobody knows a team's weaknesses or strengths better than you know the staff of that team. And I think in the Patriots' case, they probably have a better awareness of their own players' strengths and their team's strengths and weaknesses than uh, even those teams that they go against that study them closely on a weekly basis. And I just say that thinking about all the no- the, the many players who've left New England, of course, uh, for greener pastures, so to speak, and just haven't done as well elsewhere, like a Jamie Collins, for example, yeah. and yet come back to New England and flourish with the Patriots. I think they just have a great sense of their players' abilities, how they fit within their schemes and their own strengths and weaknesses. And we think about 2018 as a classic example when late in the year the Patriots threw everything out that they could not do well. By that point in time, they decided, you know, we are not a passing first team, uh, putting it in simple terms. They're yeah. a run first team. And they became a very physical between the tackles running team. And of course, they plowed their way into the playoffs and ran over the Chargers in the divisional run. And for the most part, you know, ran through Kansas City in the AFC Championship before winning the Super Bowl in a similar fashion uh, against the Rams. Having said all that, I think, you know, that because it's a continuation, I don't think that the Patriots really learned anything uh, in the last week or so that was a revelation to them maybe a reaffirmation of some of the things they have seen developing. I think that one of the things we discovered in the Bills game is that, you know, for all the talk of zone coverages in recent weeks, and granted, the weather is a major factor, and I don't think the Patriots are going to go back to strictly man-to-man uh, in a couple of weeks when they play the Bills. But nonetheless, I think that, you know, for those of us on the outside have seen them become a predominantly zone coverage team, you know, they cover pretty well man-to-man for the most part against the Bills last Monday night. But I don't think there's anything substantial that stands out to me that they might have learned about themselves as a football team. You know, I think I'm living in bizarro world because the Colts are built like I think the Bills should have been built, and the Bills are built like I would think the Colts Colts should have been built by the virtue of that the Colts play indoors. Like They should be the track meet style team that wants to get up and down, but they're the team – with the physical offensive line, with the run-stuffing defensive line, and with the power running game. So um, even though this game is going to be played in the, in, in, in the comforts of indoors in Indy, it seems like this is going to be a, a budding heads of styles here where we have two similar teams. Well, I think the, the big thing about both of these teams, though, Brady, is that they both have coaches and they both have personnel that I think can adjust to the kind of game uh, it, it, it turns out to be. Each team will likely go in with the intention of establishing the run for lack of a you know better cliche i don't mean yeah. to make it that simple but the Colts showed against the buccaneers that if they need to throw it if the running game isn't working the way it did against buffalo with jonathan taylor in that contest yeah. well then they can adjust and i think we've seen that from the patriots this year i think it's you know i i tend to oversimplify myself you just asked me a question about what the patriots might have learned during the bye week and i oversimplify and i think when it comes to the colts it's an oversimplification to think that they they are a run dominant team that has to run to be successful because I think what we've seen from them is the ability to adapt. But Carson Wentz has been prone to make some big mistakes in the passing game, some crucial interceptions, particularly against Tennessee, uh, some mistakes as well late in the game against Tampa Bay cost. And they had a double digit lead in three of their losses this year, including the second matchup with the Titans and the, recent game against Tampa Bay. But the thing about 
the, the Colts against, they have a head coach in Frank Reich is such a great play caller and a great diagnose someone who's able to uh, very uh, acutely diagnose what's available and what isn't as the game goes along. And I think that's a strength of Josh McDaniels as well to make adjustments during the course of a game and abandon what isn't working and then for his team to change its approach in game. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us every single Tuesday on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Saturday night, Patriots at Colts. We'll have the coverage for you beginning at 5.30 right here on your Patriots station, WDEV. You know, I think everybody respects the Patriots. Nationally, the Patriots are getting respect. People certainly call them contenders. But it seems like the Chiefs are being quickly reanointed the AFC favorites. What do you make of them kind of being grandfathered in to the AFC's top spot, according to people? Well, the Chiefs are two years removed from a Super Bowl title and, of course, a year removed from losing in the Super Bowl. They are the defending AFC champs still, and I think the progress their defense has made uh, is reason why people, including myself, believe that the Chiefs, you know, I think are a team that pose as big a threat, if not uh, you know, more threat than anyone else when it comes to the Patriots' road to get to where they want to go. When you look ahead to the, the postseason, not to get ahead of ourselves, the Pats still have a you know a difficult stretch here. I think three of the four games they're going to play should be expected to be extremely challenging. Uh, two of them on the road against Indy and Miami, and of mm-hmm. course Buffalo in between. But I think in Kansas City's case, Brady, I think it's just the progress their defense has made. You know, Mahomes still isn't lighting it up the way we've been accustomed to. But let's face it, the Chiefs going in were a favorite again in the AFC. They struggled uh, through a lot of mistakes offensively early. They were porous defensively, but their secondary can cover. They figure things out, it seems, up front. Now, their schedule has been a little more forgiving of light, and they've had a couple of lopsided wins over the Raiders that have factored in this long winning streak for them. But I I, I think it's pretty self-evident why people around the country are are looking at the Chiefs, and they've become, I think, the betting favorite now in the AFC and, and why Vegas feels that way because they were the favorite going into the season, and it seems like they've solved some of the biggest issues they faced when they were up and down early in the year. You know, Bob, I know because of the bye week it's been different schedules, and I don't know that you've even been back to the facility here in the last couple of days, but 37 COVID cases yesterday across the league reported. We've had a slew of serious NHL um, players put in COVID protocol just earlier today. Have you heard anything about the Patriots kind of tightening the screws on COVID protocol um, to try to get through this end of the season run as healthy as possible? Well, Brady, the NFL's done it for all the teams. Uh, going into Thanksgiving, uh, the league mandated stricter protocols, masking, for example, uh, more remote meetings. After Thanksgiving, anticipating that as players welcomed family and there were larger gatherings over the Thanksgiving holiday, then there would be an increase in positive cases. And we've experienced that, of course, especially with the Omicron variant. And what we've seen in the last few days is an increase in cases around the NFL. In fact, I looked at a long list of names yesterday, including some pretty prominent names on there. We know what happened with the Rams, for example, and a credit to that to them for overcoming the loss of Jalen Ramsey and being without uh, Higby in the win yeah. over the Cardinals. Uh, but I even said to my wife, as I as I took a peek at my phone at one point and saw a list of all the names that were positive on Monday, I said, you know, this is going to be an issue going forward when you talk about the NFL and, and postseason success and, and you know who the favorites are in the playoffs. 
I think COVID could play a pretty big role, uh, just the way it did early last year. And the last thing you want to see as a Patriot fan, and fans, of course, is a repeat of what we witnessed early last October uh, for the Pats with Kansas City and then Denver, of course, and all the problems the Patriots had. But the, the, uh, the, the mandates are there now in place from the NFL. Everybody's tightening the protocols. The league is now encouraging players to get the booster shot. Uh, if they're more than six months removed from their second uh, dose of vaccination. So I, I think that we're going to see some teams, you know, really be affected by it. We've already seen a, a couple of squads have, a, a, you know, a, a half dozen players or so put on the COVID list. And uh, the last thing you want as a team is to start losing valuable players uh, in the course of the next few weeks in these must-have games. And then obviously in January when you get into the playoffs themselves. Yeah, and it's it's impacted the Patriots this year already. Not so much against them, but and I don't know that the result would have changed. But I think about Cleveland had a seven nothing lead on the Patriots, and if Nick Chubb and Felton are playing in that game, maybe it goes completely different. It ended up a complete route that the Pats won, but the Patriots were able to take advantage of some COVID related absences in that one. And it certainly feels like those situations are going to present themselves again here down the stretch for somebody. Yeah, Brady, no doubt about it. I think you look at the Cleveland situation. I think you can flip it around and say the Patriots are fortunate to overcome a couple of losses early in the season on their offensive line. And then even yeah. more recently, right. that Kyle Duggar had to miss the first game between the Patriots and the Bills because, as I yeah, alluded to, the weather was such a factor uh, in that Buffalo-New England game that you know Duggar's absence, much like the absence of Tredavious White for the Bills, was mitigated somewhat. Now, in the second meeting between the Patriots and the Bills coming up, you know, Duggar's impact figures to, to be more uh, you know, prominent for the Patriots, him being on the field, because it, it's in all likelihood uh, you know, going to be the kind of night where the Bills are going to be able to pass the ball a lot more frequently and effectively than they did the first meeting between the teams. I think the timing of uh, the cases and, and the players themselves, and you're right, the timing could not have been worse for the Browns when they played the Patriots to lose – players at that particular position, the running back spot, and especially the caliber of Nick Chubb and Felton as their, their primary screen back. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, Saturday night, 5.30. Scott Zolak, Bob Sosi on the call right here on WDEV. Bob, we look forward to it. A big game, two playoff hopefuls, and in the Patriots' case, trying to hold on to that number one seed right now in the AFC playoff picture. So, Bob, we'll do it again in seven days. I'm looking forward to it, Brady, and uh, again, it uh, should be a great matchup. Yeah, we think so as well. Bob Sosi, look forward to it. 5.30 with the call on uh, Saturday night. The rare Saturday night game. And Bob's right. It's an interesting dynamic, the shrunken bye week on both ends for the Patriots. They play you know, no one's going to cry a river for the Patriots and not getting more time off, but you go to the bye and you want to get every bit as healthy as you can and get every bit as prepared as you can, and the Patriots lose a day on the front end by playing Monday night, and then they lose a day on the back end by playing Saturday. Bob's right, and it's exactly what I said a segment ago. Coronavirus is going to impact the end of the season. You just have to hope it's not you. You just have to hope it's not you. It could be Cleveland. This could end their season. If they lose to the Raiders... And if they don't have these players available, they're missing two all-starting offensive linemen and, and Jarvis Landry at wide receiver. If they don't have those guys available this Saturday against the Raiders and they lose, that will end their season because they're not beating Green Bay on Christmas. If the Rams lose to Seattle and they are decimated this week, 
that changes the NFC West race. It changes the seeding in the NFC playoff picture, and it drastically hurts the Rams. And it may keep Seattle alive enough to impact the other teams who are battling for that seven spot in the wild card. It's going to play a factor. It's Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. National news update from CBS. And then I really like what Ime Udoka said to Jason Tatum. I'll tell you what that was. That's next on DEV. Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Tuesday on WDEV. we got about 40 minutes left. We go up until uh, about 6.40, so I guess 35 minutes left. we got high school basketball coming up tonight between People's Academy and Stowe on the boys' side. Brent Curtis will be courtside for that game. The tip-off is 7 o'clock. We're going to be joined by TJ Sorrentine, former Catamount Hoop star, in a few, in a, uh, let's see, about 25 minutes. He'll be with me about 6.30, going right up until the uh, the game time there. So TJ Sorrentine is the associate head coach at Brown. He just coached against UVM last Friday in a game that UVM won 70 to 65. So curious how his emotions were in that one. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, was just with us. You can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to get all of our exclusive content. Bob in Moncton says, Brady, going back to what you said to start the day, the Patriots were always everyone's favorite because of Tom Brady. So, yes, your reputation precedes you and shapes how we feel, which is exactly what I said. One more note on on COVID in the NFL and how it's going to impact thing, things. The league knows that it's impacting things, and the league is really doubling down on its efforts here. All Tier 1 and Tier 2 people, not players, but coaches, assistants, staffers, game day people, they all need to get boosted by December 27th or they can't be around the team anymore. They can't travel with the team anymore and their access is restricted. You applaud the NFL for what they're doing. They want the season to go off with as much competitive integrity as they can. However, I do find it a little odd that we are mandating boosters for people who are already double vaccinated. Every coach in the NFL is already double vaccinated. They have to get boosters Yet the players don't have to get anything. Most of the players are vaccinated, but not all of them are, obviously. We saw like Amari Cooper wasn't vaccinated. He was out for missed two games for the Cowboys. So players, the ones who we're trying to protect, don't need to get vaccinated, but everybody else has to get the third, you know, has to get the booster. Again, I'm not here to pass judgment on how people handle their COVID protocol. I'm not here to give my opinion either on it. So, but. I just find it odd. Not odd. I didn't, unfair is too strong a word. Odd is too – it's not the right word either. I just take note of the fact that this group of people who's already vaccinated needs another shot, and that group of player, that group of people, the players, doesn't need to get vaccinated at all. It's just a, kind of an inconsistency. We're trying to keep the players safe, but the players don't have to get vaccinated themselves. That's enough on COVID. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I really like what Ime Udoka said to Jason Tatum. So Celtics won last night. Celtics beat the Milwaukee Bucks 117-103. to 103. Bucks had been red hot. Celtics had been ice cold, right? They were 1-4 on the West Coast trip. They got pummeled on multiple stops in that trip, including most recently by Phoenix over the weekend. They beat the Bucks. Great win yesterday. Tatum goes for 42 points, and the Celtics are now back at 500. Here is what Ime Udoka said that he told Jason Tatum 
This was after the game yesterday. You know, quite honestly, I, I gave Jason examples of what I used to say to Kawhi as a young rookie and respecting guys too much at times. I told him, these guys aren't your older brother. Don't treat them like that. And he took it to heart and um, you know came out in attack mode tonight. But it's across the board. Our whole group, uh, we know what we have to do to be effective. I think that's a really interesting comment by Jason Tate or by Ime uh, Odoka about Jason Tatum, saying that you can respect players too much. They're not your older brother. Don't treat them as such. It's a really interesting comment because it highlights the generational gap that continues to exist in sports, but especially in the NBA. These guys are all so friendly. It's almost too friendly, and that's so hard to say because we want guys to be nice. We want guys to be good role models and to set good examples. So we don't want blind hate of players. So we want guys to be nice and be likable. But from a basketball standpoint, these players are almost too friendly with each other. They go to the same camps growing up. They're on the AAU circuit growing up. They play together or against each other all summer. They all know each other in a way that wasn't prevalent when Bird and Magic played or when Jordan played against everybody in the 90s. This dynamic didn't exist. It's different now. And there are times in an NBA game over the course of 82 uh, over the course of 82 games in an NBA season that the games feel like one big reunion rather than something competitive. And I think that's what Ime Odoka is saying that I need to get Jason Tatum out of this culture where you're just boys with everybody. You've got to have that killer instinct where you want to beat somebody and you want to do it over and over and over again. And I I find this very fascinating. And I, I just wonder, look at the guys in the league who are dominating right now. Giannis, uh, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid. Guys that didn't grow up in that culture, in the U.S. culture, in the American culture, guys that didn't grow up like that, they're dominating because maybe it's because they don't have that backstory to them. You look at these American-born players that grow up together, they play together, it's the good boys club, it's the everything's a reunion, the yacht, you know, the LeBron boat club or whatever. Those foreign players didn't have that. Does that factor into their ability to have a killer instinct? I don't know. Maybe. But I look at three of the best players in the league, and not one of them grew up fully immersed in that culture. Embiid came over here for a portion of high school. But, you know, we're talking about it, I think, like 16. He wasn't in it at 12. Luka doesn't have that kind of – doesn't have those kind of relationships, and neither does Giannis. And they're dominating. Are they able to – to have that killer instinct more because they didn't grow up here. I'm curious about that. But I think to Adoka's point, Jason Tatum needs to get out of that. The Celtics players need to get out of that where you're looking at players with reverence, where you're looking at everybody like your buddy, and where you have that kind of lackadaisical approach. I know when I used to play my friends in anything, you wanted to win, but there was an element of, you know, you're always smiling at each other. And it was an interesting, like, hey, okay, whatever you can do, I can do better. And I'm going to let you do this so then I have a chance to do that. And it was always kind of a weird dynamic because it was fun. It felt like you were playing against your brother where you're kind of just toying with each other. You can't have that in the NBA, and we have seen it all around the NBA. It's what makes a guy 
like Russell Westbrook, I think, really special. There are people that don't like Westbrook. There are people that don't like Westbrook's game and the way it translates and how he plays in the playoffs, etc. That's all fine. He's he's an imperfect player. But what is perfect about Russell Westbrook is his attitude. He has what Ime Udoka wants Tatum to have. Killer instinct. Don't care who you are. Doesn't matter. Do we play together? Are we friends? Do we grow up together? When the game is on, we are competitors. Russell Westbrook has that. For all the warts you think he has, he has that which stands out above the rest of his other qualities. Just he's the same player every night. And that's what Udoka is trying to get Tatum to be. He is a great individual player. Nobody except one player over the last... I saw the stat earlier. I don't have it in front of me. He's averaging nearly 29 points a game over the last certain amount of games. And only one guy in the NBA is averaging more than that. He's a phenomenal individual player. If you want to get to the next level, as Udoka is trying to get him to, you have to be able to separate those mindsets. Buddies off the court all you want. On the court, Russell Westbrook attitude. Kawhi Leonard attitude, which Udoka mentioned. Because Kawhi doesn't care. He's not a guy who I think is, uh, you know, meeting before the game talking about what they're going to do over the weekend or what they're doing this summer or reliving when they were 16. That's not Kawhi Leonard. Jason Tatum needs to get some more of that. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, but it was a great win for the Celtics last night. And good to have Jalen Brown back as well, who did some nice things. Injured his knee in the first quarter. I was a little worried there, but he did come back in the game. But the Celtics with a great win over the Bucks. I want to transition here to a couple of football stories. One on the Patriots, one not. Mac Jones is incredibly lucky. And the situation with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville just underscores how lucky he is. Because what Trevor Lawrence is going through with the Jaguars would never happen in New England. All the chaos, all the distractions, all the questioning of the coach, all the questioning of what the coach is saying, all the rebellion, the uprising, the leaks, none of this stuff would happen in New England. I mean, I'm listening to, I got Field Yates saying yesterday that that Urban Meyer is a disgrace. I got Mina Kimes today saying that Urban Meyer needs to be fired. I got Mike Greenberg saying that uh, what, let's see, do we, ha- let's see, do we have that here? Uh, okay, we'll find it. We got Mike Greenberg saying that you know, just that that Urban Meyer is ruining Trevor Lawrence, that he is ruining the Jaguars. I mean, it's not good stuff coming out of Jacksonville, and none of that stuff would ever happen in New England. Here you go. Here was Mike Greenberg. Can you imagine if the Urban Meyer thing was happening in any other city? Can I remind you that Trevor Lawrence is the number one quarterback prospect that we have seen in generations and was one of the best-known college players ever he was in the playoff all three years he was there so he walked into the league a superstar and has been largely forgotten this would never happen in Foxborough and it sounds obvious right it sounds obvious because the Patriots have been so good I get it but there's something about the Patriots that has gone underappreciated for many years and those two things are consistency and stability Part of the reason the Patriots have been so good 
is that they have been so stable. One ownership group, one coach, largely one offensive coordinator for the better part of 15 years. They have been a rock for the most part. Consistent messaging, consistent leadership, consistent expectations. And look at the other teams around the league who have been pretty good for a while. They all have that. Pittsburgh. Okay, Ben is on the way out. He's done. But the Roonies, Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger, consistency, always good. Seattle, they're down right now. But Paul Allen, who just died recently, but Paul Allen, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, always good. Kansas City, the Hunts, Andy Reid, now Patrick Mahomes, and Alex Smith, who's also a rock before Mahomes. Stable. Even with all the other nonsense, Tyreek Hill, all that, stable organization. The Rams now, pretty stable. McVay, good. Uh, oh, man, what's the guy's name who owns the Rams? The guy we all hate, Stan Kroenke. Okay, ownership stable, McVay stable. Been there for a while. Good teams have stability. They have consistency. And I understand what you're saying. Well, yeah, they have consistency because they're good. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing. But when you have that kind of leadership structure in place, things are easier for everybody. Look at the quarterbacks in this league that really do struggle. And look at the situations that they get put into. Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Probably going to have a coaching change here in year one. Instability. Baker Mayfield, for all his warts, three different head coaches, multiple different play callers in four years. Freddie Kitchens, Hugh Jackson, Kevin Stefanski. Uh, Sam Darnold, who I don't think is any good, but maybe he's not good because Todd Bowles, Adam Gase, Joe Brady, Matt Rule. All the different voices in his ear. Mac Jones should be grateful that he is in a situation that is so stable. He's good on his own. These coaches are good on their own, but the structure in place allows for Mac Jones to develop and not have to deal with garbage like these other guys are dealing with. I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. And hey, number one pick, endorsements, money, he lives a good life overall. But football-wise, I feel bad for him that this is happening to him because this would never happen in Foxborough. This would never happen in New England. When Bad teams, they go chasing. They're always spinning in circles. Matt, Matt Stafford in Detroit, multiple. how many coaches did he have? You look at what's happened in, in Houston now, instability. You look at what happened in Miami for a long time, instability. These bad teams, these bad, bad organizations, they chase things. The Patriots, they have a system where they can just insulate you. Good teams have that. Mac Jones is fortunate to land where he did. He's fortunate to land where he did. So good stuff there. Uh, well, good stuff for the Patriots. Not so good for Trevor Lawrence. You do. You feel bad for him. You feel bad for him. Zach Wilson, even. I feel bad for him. These rookie situ. These rookie seasons being essentially wasted because of all this turmoil around them. Mac Jones has the benefit of stability. Don't. When people ask you why are the Patriots so good. Tom Brady, yeah. Bill Belichick, yeah. The defense, yeah. Special teams, yeah. The schedule, yeah. The division, yeah. Stability and consistency. Two of the biggest reasons why the Patriots have been able 
to be so good. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at just $20 a month. And you can get a free car wash for my listeners just by texting the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. 30, 400. So text the word Vermont. You get a free car wash from Vermont Laser Wash. The Giants are bad. The New York football Giants are bad. they got four wins on the year. Now it looks like Daniel Jones is going to be out for the season. It's not going to get any better. The head coach is Joe Judge. He continues to talk about progress and continues to show optimism for his program and for the development of his team. Here's what Joe Judge had to say, and then we'll tell you what people are saying about it. You know, it's not as simple. It's not fantasy football. You don't come on in. You don't go ahead and, and select a couple players in the draft and sign someone in free agency and say, every problem solved. You got to come in and put all the pieces in place over time. And there's a lot of examples of teams that have come in and had quick success and then filtered out quickly. But there's better examples of teams that have come in and collectively gone together and put the team together the right way over the course of a few seasons and had sustained success over time. So Judge talking optimistic, saying that you know he believes in his team, they're going in the right direction, it's not a quick fix. Michael Kay is the Yankees broadcaster on Yes Network on TV. He's also the um, host of the Michael K Show on ESPN New York. He's losing me. I mean, they're serving us poop, and he's telling us it's chocolate pudding. I mean, it's every insulting. single... Oh, I really like what I see there. No, really? You're the only one who's seeing it. Results mean something, don't they? <laughs> I get what K and Giants fans are saying. I get that they're frustrated. But what exactly do you want Joe Judge to say? His team is 4-9. and nine. His starting quarterback is out. It's a starting quarterback that he did not draft, by the way. Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer drafted Daniel Jones. He did not. So let's understand that. What exactly do you want Joe Judge to do at this point? Do you want him to sit here and rip all his players? Do you want him to go the Urban Meyer route? Because I don't think that that would be good. Do you want him to rip his positional coaches a la Urban Meyer? I don't think that would be good. Do you want him to rip his boss, Dave Gettleman, who's probably going to get fired at the end of the year for assembling this group of players? Not a good idea. So what exactly do you want Joe Judge to do? You want him to be accountable. You want him to show a level of frustration and misery that you as a fan have. But he needs to be accountable to those players, not us in the media and not us the fans. Tough conversations need to exist for the New York Giants but they need to happen behind closed doors. Airing out your grievances with the media and saying, hey, that guy can't block and that guy can't throw and that guy can't catch and that guy can't run and our training staff sucks and our defensive coordinator stinks and we can't cover the deep pass and on special teams we're garbage. What would that accomplish? You, the fan, would be happy to hear that because that's what you say during the game. It would not be beneficial and it would not behoove Joe Judge to go and do that he's talking about a plan and you don't want to hear it fair understand it as a fan but 
We always say it's not smart for guys to go to the media and throw people under the bus, and that's exactly what you're looking for Joe Judge to do. And if you're not looking for him to do that, you're looking for him to throw himself under the bus, and that's never a good idea either, especially in New York. Being accountable and not being arrogant is a good thing. It's also not a great idea, though, to throw yourself to the wolves. I like Joe Judge. I like what he stands for. I think what he stands for and his program are good with young players as they get more veteran players. I do think it will be harder to get guys to buy in. I do. So there are still questions I have on Joe Judge's program and how it will blend in with with, with older players, with more experienced players. I think Joe Judge has a very collegiate way of doing things as in it's very, very um, – process-oriented and very, very drill sergeant-esque. You can do that to college kids. It's harder to do that to 34-year-olds with mortgages and kids. So I like Judge for a young ascending team. I think he's good. But he's not going to sit here and rip everybody. And if he rips himself, he's just feeding himself right to the Lions. That that doesn't – it just doesn't do any good. He, he puts himself on blast in the media – he just crucifies him even more. He puts his coaches on blast or his players on blast, and we're calling him out for, for for not handling things the right way. I think Joe Judge is spinning the story. He should be spinning because everybody gets it. You know, he's not going at anybody in front of the media, and he also saves himself a little bit more criticism. Unless you're Michael Kay, apparently. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio dot com. All right, when we come back. UVM men's basketball beat Brown over the weekend. Hold on. Hold on. Long text I want to get to. Dane in Rochester. I said it long ago, Brady, before the draft even. It's not Urban Meyer's fault. Jacksonville has been bad for years. Giving them the number one pick in the draft is a waste of talent. Trevor Lawrence's talent is being wasted in Jacksonville. The blame belongs with the whole of Jacksonville's front office. Or maybe it's a problem with the draft system. I'll address the first part of it first here real quick. Instability is a problem. I look at the Jaguars and what have they had here in the last several years? Tom Coughlin was in the front office and then they had they had Doug Marone for a while as their head coach and they got rid of him and then and now they got Urban. Instability. Bad teams are always chasing something. Good teams largely are stable teams, are stable franchises. And the Patriots are a stable franchise. And that is part of the reason why Mac Jones is able to come in and just play football. He's not dealing with all this outside stuff. Look, and the good ones, by the way, the great ones, they can overcome. Not everybody can. Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning went 1-15 in their rookie years, ended up in the Hall of Fame. Even Baker Mayfield inherited the Browns and got to the playoffs in year three. So it can be done. Great ones can overcome, but you do feel bad for them while they're going in it here while it's really, really bad. And it's bad right now. Mac Jones is lucky he doesn't have that. Okay. UVM men's basketball. They beat Brown last Friday. Final score was 70-65. to 65. Former Catamount star TJ Sorrentine was on the bench. He's the associate head coach for Brown. What was it like for him to coach against his alma mater? Was it weird? Was it exciting? TJ Sorrentine is going to stop by next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com UVM men's basketball coming off a 70 to 65 win over Brown last Friday in the second game of their Rhode Island swing. And it was an odd game to watch as a Catamount fan because you're watching the game, you're rooting for UVM, but you know, on the other sideline is one of the greatest players in UVM history and TJ Sorrentine, who's an associate head coach at Brown. Hard to believe in his 14th year on the Brown sideline and TJ is with us now 14 years, man. That's, that's hard to believe. It sounds crazy to even say it um, or hear you say it as a matter of fact. Um, but it's, I've had i I've had a ball doing it a um, ton of fun. And um, you know, when I stop having fun, I won't do it anymore. <laughs> and uh, It's one of those things where you learn from coach Brennan. He always says, enjoy the wins. It's really, really hard. So enjoy the wins. And uh, that's why we do it. I love the competition, the wins and losses, and uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, undoubtedly a tough loss for your program on Friday, but a good game overall to watch from a fan's perspective. You guys are off to a great start at 8-5 and five this year, but what's it like to coach against UVM? Is that a weird feeling for you? Very weird. Um, it, it was a – and just to follow up on that, it was a great college basketball game, uh, really high level um you know especially that last eight minutes of the yeah. second half it was back and forth and back and forth and just a great basketball game and just happy to be a part of it you know um you know our program's come a long way and um like you said we're off to a great start um uh, but you know as i told coach brendan if you had to lose one um i'd rather lose it to the cats <laughs> You know, UVM going into that game, we had made or I had made a big deal about they were having a really hard time scoring the basketball, and they were really not shooting well from the outside. And I had called for them to be able to get to 70 consistently if they were going to do what we want them to do, and they got to 70. Is that just a product of, you know, they always had it and just hadn't done it through the first, you know, 10-plus games of the season, or did they unlock something in that game against you guys last Friday? Yeah, it's funny. Like uh, we've been struggling to score a little bit too, and both of us are, are really good defensively. So I actually had the game pegged at sixty. So the mm. first one, the sixty, I thought was going to win, and it did pan out that way. They did get to sixty before us, um, but the second half, I think we both played well offensively. And uh, but for them, I think it's just more of uh, you know, like Davis was out early, and you know him getting his legs. I think him shooting the basketball is is a huge plus for them. You know, he's just such a great player, and I, I just watch him. I. I told those guys, uh, Coach Becker. Uh, I told him before the game. I said it looks like looks like Davis is getting his legs back, and uh, you know he made a couple threes against Providence, then he made four against us. And like when when your five man has the ability to make threes like that, man, it, it just opens up so much uh, for the offense. And I think that's a, that's going to be a big key for them. You know, I don't want to put you in the position to really talk about another team's player, so I hope I asked this question right. Um, just from a guard standpoint, I look at it. Benny Shungu really was really good offensively in the second half didn't do much in the first half as you as someone who is a scoring guard how do you get that mentality early versus balancing trying to get everybody else involved you don't want to be selfish but you also know the team needs you to get yours yeah I've watched Benny a ton and uh he's he's an unbelievable player man just just to the growth that he's shown um uh, you know, call me crazy, but I was saying to somebody the other day, you look at his career, I mean, he might be a top 20, 20 guy all time at Vermont. And, um, you know, a guy like that is always going to get himself going. I think the coaching staff does a great job, job putting him in position. Um, you know, obviously he was a focus for us coming into the game, uh, being one of their main guys. And um, in the second half, I thought they made a great, did a great job, their, their staff, you know, coming out of timeouts and really doing some things to get him in position to score the basketball. And, um, you know, 
it's hard to keep scores down for, for a whole game. And we pride ourselves on being a good defensive team, and, but he's a heck of a player, man. And I, I'm, I'm so proud of him just being a, from Vermont and the success he has had, man, it's just awesome to see. I just told him I, I love watching him and um, rooting like heck for him the rest of the T- way. TJ Sorensen with us here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. You know, we were talking last week, we had a guest on kind of in advance of the game. We were talking about your coaching, you know, opportunities in the future. And we know that you had told us in August that you want to be a head coach someday as you enter, you know, as you're in year 14, what do you continue to get better at? What do you continue to learn as you kind of prepare for that next step, whenever it may come? Yeah, I think you're always keeping your black book in just different situations. I think this year, uh, especially, we've had a ton of close games and we've really tested ourselves in the non-league. And um, I think you're always learning uh, in-game situations. And, and uh, you know, I think it's important um, to keep a file on those things. And so when you're in those situations, again, even this year, um, you know, you you know, you know how what you would do differently, or you know things you you might do the same. Um, I think that to me, that's that's the growth, um, you know, as a coach. Um, but obviously, every day it's just the continued development of you know trying to get our young men to be to be better basketball players and and just be better off the court as well. That never stops. So I think that's that's why we do it. You know, that's why I do it. At least I, I love to help in the development of these young kids, and we have great kids and. Um, Vermont obviously has great kids as well. So it's, uh, that's, that's, that's the main reason why I do it. And, uh, you can always continue to get better at that. You know, we see upsets every year and I don't have like some Rolodex of, of how many there are this year versus last year versus the year before or whatever, but it seems like at least regionally, we're getting a lot of good wins for low to mid-major conferences. Just last night, Albany beats Boston College. I think it was UMass Lowell earlier in the year beat Pitt and in your league, Dartmouth beat Georgetown. So What's going on here in the water for some of these programs, or is it just uh, you know the parity? You know the talent gap is shrinking. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think a lot of teams are old. You know, like uh, a lot of guys getting that extra year, and you know, a lot of times at these higher level schools, they're mismatching guys, quote unquote, free agency uh, in college basketball. And like it takes time to to integrate those pieces. And you know, team a team like Dartmouth, they they have a, a great core group of older guys and. Um, you know, early in the year, they know what they want to do, maybe a little more so than Georgetown. Um, you know, it's to me, that's kind of where where I would peg it, um, like a team like Vermont. You know, they're old and they're experienced. They know what they want to do. And, um, you know, they, they very well could have knocked off Maryland. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they've played well. And um, it, to me, that's, you know, knowing what you want to do and having – a core group of, of older veteran guys can really help you early in the year. Well, I'll get you out of here on this on a non-basketball question. You're Mr. New England, Mr. Rhode Island. I got to assume you're a Patriots fan. You have been to Patriots games before. I am going to Patriots Jaguars January 2nd. You don't have to have the answer right now, but I am expecting from you a sports bar or restaurant recommendation in and around the stadium uh, You know, as I get ready for that game. So I'm trying to plan my trip in my head. Yeah, CBS scene right at right at the stadium. It's a beautiful spot. Um, it's a bunch of bunch of stuff around Foxborough, and uh, you can't go wrong. That's a that's a good trip, man. You uh, you lucked out on that one. Somebody must be taking care of you pretty well. So, uh, well, hey, January second in Foxborough. I don't know if it's going to be negative ten or not, but at least they're playing the Jaguars. So, knock on wood, I'm hoping for a win at least if I'm going to go to it. Yeah, hey, it's the Patriots are good again. So it's uh, it's all is well in New England. 
Absolutely. TJ, man, we appreciate the time. Congratulations on the good start to this year, and we'll certainly be following along to the rest of the way. I wish you guys nothing but success in the Ivy League. Thanks, Brady. I appreciate having me on. Absolutely. TJ Sorrentine, our guy, former Catamount Hooper, the legend himself, Mr. From the Parking Lot, and uh, now the associate head coach at Brown. Here's what we're going to do. we got no show tomorrow, so we're heading off the air now. People's Academy and Stowe Boys basketball coming up. No show tomorrow because we got the Dave Morse tournament coming up. We'll have coverage for you at 5.15 and 6.45 there. I'm back at it again on Thursday. We'll react to what TJ had to say. I spoke to Coach Brennan as well. We'll have Tom Karen as an interview taped up also. Buster only live on Thursday. Tons of stuff to get to Thursday when I'm back at it. With you guys again from 5.30 until 7. High School Hoops is next with Brent Curtis from Stowe on DEV.